and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site following the Ag PhD Corn Workshop. And Brian, we just kind of had a fast and furious close to the Corn Workshop. Lots of information to talk about, and we were talking about our plan for our farm. Here's what we're doing, and there's just a lot of steps there. And I think it's important to lay those steps out wherever you're at as a corn farmer well, because... It's not like you just put seed in the ground and show up a few months later and harvest. Right, and it is, but when we had that plan, we didn't really talk about drainage or fertility. And those are the two most important things. We got to make sure we have good drainage so everything that we do pays well on the farm. We have to have good air levels in that soil. And then on the fertility thing, it's just so critical to have good fertility, not just nitrogen, not just phosphorus and potassium, but even sulfur, the micronutrients, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, our show today is nothing more than questions from our audience. Uh, we had a number of people that were live streaming in, so we got a bunch of those questions. If you're in the room with us today, if you just want to raise your hand, if you got a question, uh, and if you would, if, or if you wouldn't mind, just please give us your first name and the state you're from. That would be great. But we got a couple people here with microphones. They'll run those around. Yeah, and if you're listening from home, you can still send your questions in. It's radio at agphd.com. All right, so we're going to get to our first question right now. And again, just give us your first name and the state you're from. That'd be great. Doug from South Dakota. On one of your last slides, you showed uh, at times you use Y drops and at times you use Coulter's. Yes. Uh, what, when do you decide which to use? <laughs> or how? Well, like almost everything in farming, it's a judgment call. Last, the last two years, we've had drought. And when I looked uh, the last couple years at, well, especially last year, where we had to do some side dress, I looked at the forecast and I go, there's no rain in the forecast and our ground is pretty dry. I'm really worried guys that this nitrogen isn't gonna get into the ground when we need it. So we were prepared to do wide drops, but we switched it over because we, we can go both ways. And we use Coulter's last year on everything. Now, <laughs> our guys on the farm weren't super excited about that because it took twice as long to do everything, but whatever, at least we had the nitrogen in the ground and it turned out pretty good because our yields ended up fine and, and we got the nitrogen into the plant. But yeah, if you aren't going to have rain in a while, and so let's say, and we have people here in the audience that are from many states or that are, they have plenty of rainfall and it's raining every week. Here in South Dakota, we unfortunately don't have that luxury. And so when we're dry land farming and I look at the forecast and I go, I don't think we're going to get rain for at least a couple weeks. Thank goodness we did uh, put our nitrogen in with coulters because I don't think we had a significant rain for almost a month after we put that nitrogen on. So what, would, what good would the nitrogen have done if it had been laying on the soil surface? And that's kind of our point. All right, seeing so another question over here. Dusty from Minnesota. Uh, question, could you just speak in more detail on the folic acid application of fungicide just as far as product and rate and timing and, and then also maybe some of the returns you've seen? Yep. Sure, sure. Yeah, when you think about fulvic acid, uh, for anybody at home, I guess if you don't have a book, it's F-U-L-V-I-C, fulvic acid. Uh, we've been using a product called Nutex EDA. It's a real low use rate. It's only six to eight ounces per acre. It can mix right in with your, your fungicide and... Uh, it's been really good. Fulvic acid helps actually drive things into the plant, get through those uh, leaf stomata, and, and just move right in. So we're seeing better efficacy with foliar feeds. We're also seeing better efficacy with fungicides. Uh, it, it's real simple to do. It doesn't take a lot of rate, and that's the product that we've used. So and when you think about humic acids, and Brian was talking about that earlier today, every humic that you buy, there is some amount of fulvic acid in there. 
But humix costs more money than fulvic. If you just need the fulvic, why wouldn't you use that part? It's a smaller molecule, uh, so you can, can drive things into the plant. Yeah, so it, it doesn't cost a lot of money. It's like, uh, it's like three, three bucks. bucks. You know, somewhere maybe $4 if you use a little bit higher rate. We're not talking a lot. And this is something that we picked up from some high-yield farmers quite a few years ago. And they were just saying, boy, we're getting, a, when we throw a little fulvic acid in there, we're getting better intake and uptake and, and just more result, more yield gain with either foliar fungicide or foliar fertilizer. So that, that's what led us to start doing it ourselves. All right, we've got our next question right there. Yeah, so I kind of have a question on the anthracnose stock rot. Yep. Uh, the the picture where it's the cornfield with the tree line in the background, yep. and that also kind of ties into the tar spot. Do you think the way that field is set up with the tree line to mitigate airflow is kind of a contributing factor? It sure because could we, be. Yep. We sure see that on our farm, kind of very similar to the tar spot and that anthracnose, because we have a west tree line across the whole farm. Yep. Yeah, I, I've certainly seen that with uh, with white grubs as well. A lot of times those beetles yep. like the trees to hang out in and move out into the field. Uh, we've seen that with soybean aphids on our farm where we've got some buckbrush in, buckthorn. or buckthorn, I'm sorry, in our, our tree lines. And I remember when aphids were first a, a big deal on our farm and uh, we saw, oh, but they overwinter on buckthorn. And I remember our sister uh, was was in the office and I said, hey, can you go get some footage of buckthorn? We want to show that on the TV show. And she goes out and she comes back in like a half an hour. And I'm like, oh, I couldn't find any. She goes, oh, no, I got all the footage we're going to need for the whole year. I'm like, well, where'd you get that? Just in our trees right over here. I'm like, oh, man. So, yeah, I know there's there's pros and cons with tree belts. And I'm not suggesting yep. we tear all the tree belts out. But I, I do totally understand your frustration of, huh, it stopped the airflow and we we're more likely to have some diseases. But there. yeah, it's, it's one of these things just like weeds. And we get emails all the time from people who call themselves environmentalists and like, well, you can't kill that weed. It has this benefit or whatever. And I'm like, well, you come to my farm and you pull them all for me every single week. Yeah, and that, we're, we're good. That weed will go right come in on. your salad. Awesome. Come eat all the salad you <laughs> right. want then. Just get it out of here this week because right. it's taking away my yield. Yep, but, it, I mean, it's the same thing with trees. I remember we took a few trees out, and one of my daughters is all worked up about this, and I go, look, I took about 10 trees out. We're planting like 1,000 now, so we're more than replacing them all, but we're putting them where, they, we, where we want them, not just in some random spot where it hurts things. But every once in a while, um, yeah, you, you get that kind of situation. I and you say, oh, it's, it's not good having that shelter belt out there. But we've also had it where relatively close, not right next to the trees, but relatively close to the trees, we've gotten a bunch more yield too. So it can go both ways. All right, that's a great question and a great observation. And, and that's what it comes down to, being a really good corn farmer is observing what's happening out there and adjusting accordingly. We're just wrapping up the Ag PhD Corn Workshop. We'll be right back with more of your questions after this. This is Mike. Hey. He's getting a quick haircut at the local barber school. It's only five bucks. How bad can it? Oh! Yikes. Don't be like Mike when it comes to weed control. Get the job done right the first time and plan ahead with Status Herbicide. It delivers elite corn safety and reliable performance, so you don't have to deal with more problems than you bargained for. No, 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 no. Status Herbicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. In 1923, Bert R. Benjamin had a vision, an all-purpose tractor that could do more. 
With that, the Farmall was born. This year, Case IH is celebrating 100 years of Farmall, 100 years of milestones, 100 years of innovation, passion, grit, and they're doing it through your stories. Share them at farmall100.com. One lucky storyteller will win their own Farmall, the tractor that is the one for all. Hi, Greg Souter. Shopping for a two by two system for your planner? Take a close look at 360 Bandit. When we designed Bandit, I made sure it applied bands of nitrogen the perfect place for rapid root uptake. And I made sure Bandit didn't interfere with the critical functions of the planter, like depth and seed placement. You won't find a better, low-cost system for the ideal nitrogen placement on your planter. Get the information you need at 360yieldcenter.com. Cold weather draining your batteries? Nothing delivers peace of mind like a quality battery charger from CNB. Going on now? Buy three batteries and get the charger on sale. Learn more or shop online at DeerEquipment.com. CNB, your local John Deere dealer of choice. Offer runs until May 2023. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. When you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. So call Farm Shop MFG today at 712-520-6051. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We are broadcasting from the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site today. So we're not taking your calls, but we'll still take your questions. Radio at agphd.com if you want to email them to us. Uh, as we wrap up our, our corn workshop today, we do have a live audience here. We're taking questions from the crowd as well. Uh, I'm going to jump right over here. We'll take the next one. All right, I have a question on, a few years back you were talking about the benefits of putting some, or you're seeing some benefit from putting decomp in furrow with your seed. Are you still seeing that, or is it still looking that you, way? You, sure, or what do you, you sure can. Uh, so decomp is a natural product that's got, I think, 75 or more microbes in it. Uh, and we see that, with, we see some benefits in it helping break down residue, release nutrients, and uh, feed the crop. So it's something that certainly could be used in furrow. It could be used in a, a broadcast over-the-top application as well. Uh, personally, I, I like that in furrow application. Yeah, I, I mean, decomp can break down residues, so it, it certainly can be used that way. But I was just pulling up our data here where last year we were comparing different biological nitrogen replacement products. And believe it or not, Decomp actually had the second best net return on investment as a nitrogen replacement product. So why was it creating more nitrogen? I don't know. Maybe well, there, the faster there are, residue breakdown no, there, or something. There, there, are, sure. there are some of the bugs in there that, that <laughs> are responsible for bringing nitrogen into the plant. So uh, there, there are some of those bugs in there too. Yep, but the average yield gain was 11 bushels there. And for a cost of $7.75, it, it, it was 9 to 1. Uh, return yeah, the challenge with decap has been that it's a, a liquid formulation and it doesn't smell the best. And so <laughs> I, talking to the, the uh, producer of that product, they're working on a dry formulation that hopefully will be ready in time for the 2024 growing season. So I'm pretty excited about that. Then, then we can still use a great product, still get the same microbial activity, uh, but, but do it in a dry form instead of a liquid. Darren and I grew up scooping hog manure every morning and every night, and so I don't, I'm not bothered by bad I, smell. I just remember that when my mom would be cutting onions and you know she'd have tears running down her face, and then she'd be like, what's wrong, Mom? I thought she, something was terrible. And she's like, oh, it's just this onion. It makes your eyes water. And I'm like, my eyes aren't watering. She's like, wait, you scoop hog manure all day. 
You cut the onion. I could cut onion and it didn't bother me one bit. <laughs> All right, let's get to our next question here. On the topic of uh, sprayer nozzles, uh, yep. do you guys like the dual air inducting sprayer nozzles better or the 3D nozzles? Well, it depends on what you're doing, yep. I guess. Uh, for me, I love those 3D nozzles because they make a smaller spray droplet. And for a lot of things like fungicide and insecticide and contact herbicides that don't have volatility and drift issues, I think that's one of the best nozzles out there on the market, personally. Uh, the other thing that I would say, if, if uh, you, know, you are in the products like dicambas and 2,4-Ds that, that have drift, so we've got these great big particles that we're putting out there, these great big droplets to try to avoid physical drift. One of the challenges with those is getting good coverage. So if you're using those nozzles with bigger droplets, use more pressure. Get a better spray pattern out there to try to get uh, better coverage. I don't think, did we have anything in our book, in this particular book about uh, it? I, I wondered if you were going to bring that up. I was just going to make the comment. We had a 150-page book here. That was one of the things I cut to get it down to 150 pages. Yes, I remember we used to have this <laughs> threshold of 100 pages. And, and when, like Brian was talking about over the break, we used to travel a lot and do a lot of these workshops all over. And I would end up carrying all these boxes. And I remember one meeting I was going to, and I'm like, man, I've carried in so many boxes. There must be like 500 people coming today. And, and they're like, no, we're going to have 200 people. I'm like, why am I carrying so many boxes of books in? Oh, because Brian made them 130 pages this time. Like, what? 130? And I said, there's got to be a weight limit here. 100 should be fine. But I guess he cut it down to 150 pages today. So thanks, Brian. So anyway, sorry. Yeah, we had to cut that. But uh, good question. Oh, I would say this, though. We do have an Ag PhD app, the Ag PhD Spray Tip Guide. Yep. Uh, if you download that free app, you can type in whatever product that you're using, and it will give you a recommendation of what tip to use, uh, what style of tip, what... Uh, exact one depending on the gallons you want to apply and pressure and so forth that you'll need to use so it's really super handy we did that in conjunction with pentair and uh it, it was an exhausting process to figure out every single product what what you need to use uh so so do use that it, it's been a really handy app thank you even in wisconsin it still works all right next question over here uh chris from minnesota uh, when you're testing uh, bean ground for nitrogen and yep. that, are you doing the two-and-a-half-acre grids? Or are you doing one-acre grids? Oh. Or are you just going in doing a few spots? Well, good question. You're standing right by one of the people that pulled a lot of those nitrate tests, and she would tell you if she had to do it on one-acre grids, uh, she would probably have gone crazy. <laughs> yeah, so. but, I mean, okay, so there there are a few different things. When we're testing in the fall then the nitrogen test is just part of the overall soil test. So then we are doing one acre grids in the fall. When we go out there for the pre-cydrus nitrate test, that's when we're only doing a few. Uh, so per field, I, I would say this last year we did more than normal just because we were so worried about all this carryover end that we'd had the prior fall. Uh, so I don't remember what it was exactly, six tests, sometimes 10 tests maybe per field. Yeah, what, roughly what, one every 40 acres, yep, I think, is what we did yep. this year. So, yeah, not nearly as many as we would um, in the fall when we're doing all, I mean, the whole, whole complete test. And the other thing you'll notice, uh, like on the slide that I have up on the screen there, we had 0 to 6, and then we did some 6 to 24-inch tests as well. We don't do 6 to 24-inch tests very often. We certainly don't do it every grid or anything like that. We just do it occasionally 
if there's something that is, let's say, out of whack, or we just are curious, well, what are our deeper levels at? Uh, so it all depends on the situation. Yep. All right, now here comes some nutrient questions. Uh, yeah, we farm in uh, Clay in Buena Vista County, Iowa. Um, we don't test for zinc or sulfur anymore because every acre needs it on every farm. And so this year, we'd always put on a dry 90% sulfur, and this year the co-op says I can't do that because it's too dangerous. Uh, so we were thinking liquid sulfur. Can I put the liquid sulfur in with 32% and put it on with a coulter? As side dressing, or is that too yeah. late? Is it too late to get any benefit? Well, oh, wh when are you side dressing? How big is the corn at that point? Well, if we're going to have nitrogen in it, it'll be as soon as possible. Yeah. Okay. No, you're I really fine. don't. I really don't want to do that. Actually, I'd like to just go out and spray it before we plant early. Yep. Yep. But I'm afraid I'll lose all the nitrogen that's in that sulfur product. Uh, it's it's uh, a. I can't even think what they call it. Okay, so couple of things here. First of all, this 90% sulfur, I don't know why they would say it's too dangerous uh, with elemental sulfur. We do use some of that just about every year on our farm. I'm not that worried about it there. And there are different sources. So maybe you want to check into that a little bit. In terms of a nitrogen sulfur product, and you're worried about loss, every fall we'll put on some dry ammonium sulfate. Now granted, it's fairly late in the fall, but I mean, when we're talking about grand total, I'm putting on either 20 or maybe 40 pounds of nitrogen, depending on how much stuff I'm doing. It's not that big a deal. I'm not that worried about the loss. And it's in the ammonium form, which is much better than in the nitrate form. When it's in the ammonium form, that'll lock on to soil at least for a while. So I, I'm not like super worried about that. But if you say, okay, I want to put some sulfur out at my side dress timing, is that a good timing? Yeah, it absolutely is. For years, we've been talking about, hey, almost every time you put nitrogen on, you probably want to put a little bit of sulfur with it. Because it, we don't find a lot of people are underdoing it on nitrogen. And, but to make nitrogen more efficient, um, you got to put some sulfur with it. And we do see very commonly on soil tests and tissue tests, people are just short on sulfur. I, I mean, I, I just think about even on our own farm growing up, we had a lot of acid rain back in the 70s and into the 80s. So we got free sulfur raining down from the sky and our yield goals were a lot less. So while everybody's been bumping their nitrogen rates, they haven't necessarily been bumping their sulfur rates accordingly. So we, we think it's a very good idea to be getting some sulfur out there. The other thing that I want to throw out with the uh, 90% sulfur you're talking about, it's most likely elemental sulfur. And elemental sulfur doesn't, it's not available today. It's going to break down over time. And so some people like having this combination of, oh, I got a little bit of sulfate, and then I've got some elemental sulfur, especially in the lighter soils, because that sulfur will break down over time. It's like a controlled release product. Now, granted, it might be years, but uh, if you can get one that breaks down at least a little bit sooner, then, then that's usually pretty good, works out well. Talking corn production here on today's Ag PhD radio show, and we'll be right back after this. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. 
It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Good morning and hallelujah! Watch it. My spray and pray days are over! What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped. <laughs> we field heaven Amped? Yeah, he ordered that new Battalion Amp herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard. This is the greatest day in herbicidal history! So, how can I... Get amped? Just go to battalionamp.com. It's gonna be a good year! Always read and follow label directions. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post-application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy-duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We are broadcasting following the Ag PhD Corn Workshop today, and we're taking questions from our audience, and we're also taking questions from you via email today. Our phone lines aren't open uh, since we aren't in the studio, but you can email us, radio at agphd.com. We'd be happy to take your question. All right, I had a couple online questions that came in here, and I'll just pull up one of those. Uh, this one comes in from Nate, and he's in West Central Missouri. So we've been running conventional corn and using a full rate of acetochlor pre, so like a harness or surpass, and we're using 12 ounces of metolichlor with the post-pass, but we still have a fall panicum issue coming on late in the season, dinging yield. Just curious what you think. Is there something better uh, that maybe we could put in that post-program rather than using dual magnum? Is that the issue, or do we need to do something other than a group 15? If it's me, I'm probably going to bump the rate of the group 15. Uh, let me also say we do have an app. 
Uh, it is the Ag PhD Field Guide app. And if I remember right, we have Fall Panicum in there. And then that kind of goes through what some of our best suggestions are for this particular weed. But yeah, the problem is, and you can hear it by the very definition or the, the name of the weed, Fall Panicum. So it does come on late sometimes. So the other big thing that we'll say is we just want to have a great crop canopy. If we can do everything possible to have that great crop canopy, sometimes that will choke out that particular weed. But it's well, tough in conventional corn because otherwise Roundup's great on Yes, it. yes. Otherwise, you'd be talking about Roundup or Liberty, but the challenge with both of those products is neither of them have any residual. So I, I get it. You can put on dual post-emerge, but how much are you going to put on? I, I don't know, remember what's labeled. Is it a pint or is it a pint and a half that you it's can put on It's quite a bit. It's quite so a it's bit. Not, I'm sure he can go higher. Full. Yeah, but he could go a higher rate. But he's already used a full I rate know, of group 15 pre. So I there's only is. so much you can use in a single season, and that's that's the challenge. So if that was the only weed you had, uh, yes, you'd delay your application as long as you could because, like you say, you need that residual late in the season. So conventional corn, it's accent uh, I know no. some guys used to use Accent and Beacon in combination for that and for Shatter Cane. Now, here's the other thing. I'm curious how much yield it's actually hurting because typically if the weed doesn't start until later in the year, um, what we see is if you've got that field weed-free uh, until the corn is a foot tall, then you've maximized yield. And the late weeds that come, they don't really hurt yield. They just unfortunately add to your weed seed bank if they end up going to seed, and they're kind of a nuisance later on. But I'm wondering if, is that weed getting started earlier? And here's part of why I'm going with this. We farm in a dry area, and if we don't have rainfall, then we don't get the activity we're looking for out of that group 15. So is it something where maybe we need to go a little earlier with that, that post-dual, or maybe we need to go a little earlier with the harness or surpass? That could be something in some years. Otherwise, Accent has good activity on fall panicum as a contact killer, but you just can't, but you spray. can't spray Accent late, and you, you can't do it with kill, drops. And you can't kill big fall panicum. Yeah, but you could do it with drops. And so if we're suppressing it early on, and it is truly showing up late, you could go out there with drop nozzles and hit it with accent so that i so mean i'm just big, throwing it so out you're that telling me you're telling me in big corn that you would have to use drop nozzles and you're going to notice I I, fall panicum that's an inch tall and that's why Boy, I, you're a heck of a field scout but that's Brian, why if you're finding that but if that's so you're going to be very good with your accent yeah but that's why i'm really questioning we don't usually see big issues if we have that great crop canopy so i'm going to look at tile i'm going to look at fertility Maybe Plant, narrow, my, population, narrow, narrow my row rows. spacing. Yeah, upping the population. I mean, there are a lot of things you can do to increase that crop canopy. All right. Uh, oh, here, let's get – yeah, oh, we got a question in the audience here. Go ahead. Paul from Nebraska. Uh, I was thinking about your, like, supplementing the boron, you know, and stuff like that, the micros. Yep. You know, you normally do, like, a foliar feeding with that, or I was kind of thinking, like, a Wolf Tracks product. Sure. You know, if you could – Put that in with the dry, like in the strip-till machine. Is there one you recommend more than the other? Okay, so first of all, we have not ever seen massive yield gains from boron. But nevertheless, I mean, our yield data absolutely shows that if we have more boron out there in many of our fields, we are gaining more yield. And I'm just going to try to pull this up, at least for one of my little slides. I got all the data from the last few years, corn, soybeans, and everything. This one was in 2020. But anyway, what 
what we went went to is we started putting out dry boron in the fall to raise our overall levels, but we have heavy soil. And so I'm not, and we're dry. So I'm not worried about it leaching. And I just wanted to build my overall soil test. In addition to that, we'll use a micronutrient product that will have boron uh, in furrow or two by two or something like that in the spring. So we're, we're kind of hitting it both ways. We have done foliar stuff. We've done liquid with the pre-emerge herbicide. Um, we've talked to many guys who say, well, I'm going to throw just a little splash in every time I'm spraying anything post-emerge. There are lots of ways to do this thing is all I'm trying to get at here. I don't know that I have any one way where I say, absolutely, this is the best. But we do know that boron is really important for flowering, for pollination, for uh, almost any crop that there is out there. So we want to make sure at least by mid-season, we've got fairly decent levels with that boron. So that's why when you talk to some of the guys that farm in sand, um, they're, they're, because they're boron leeches all the time, they're doing foliar applications mid-season especially. So that's what some of those kinds of people will do. Just something for you to think about, but lots of ways to handle this thing. One last thing I'll leave you with on boron, because people ask all the time about safety. They go, oh, I hear boron's toxic. Well, everything's toxic if you get an excess. But with boron, what we look at is calcium. So Rob Fritz, agronomist with us, uh, he's done a lot of work on this too. And his thing and, and what we've started talking about now has been 1,000 to 1 calcium to boron. So in other words, for every 1,000 parts per million of calcium you have, you can have one part per million of boron. So on our farm, we've got a lot where we have four or 5,000 parts per million of calcium. So that means we can have four or five parts per million of boron safely. And we've tested this out and it, it appears to be, I mean, I'm not going to say it's exact, but fairly close. So if you have really light soil that only has a thousand parts per million of uh, calcium, that means you can only have one part per million of boron real safely. And then that's going to change my thinking a little bit. Whereas I go, I can't build the soil up a whole lot. So I'm going to have to do more of these foliar feed things, side dress, whatever else. So there's nothing wrong also if you wanted to throw it in your side dress. Let's say you were Y-dropping it or injecting it or whatever. You can throw a little boron in with your nitrogen, sulfur, anything like that too mid-season. So lots of ways to do it. All right. Yep. Got our next one right here. Dale from Minnesota. And a question about the Rise Up Smart Grass. Yes. We grow some uh, grass hay. Uh, we fertilize that grass hay usually in mid-April or as soon as we can. Perfect. Uh, I like where you're heading here. And uh, would it be feasible or possible that we could impregnate the dry fertilizer with this, with this product, Rise Up Smart Grass? Okay, you had to say impregnation. If you would have said liquid, can I mix it right in the tank? I was like, yes, yes, I love where you're going with this. That's perfect. Like liquid nitrogen, well, we get that question all the time. Can I put it in with my liquid N? Yes, that'd be great. I get it out there. I don't know if you'll get enough concentration in the plant is my concern. So number one, I don't know that that's even labeled. And number two, I, I just I, I struggle to think you'd get enough concentration in that plant. When you go spray foliar and you've got that grass out there, I mean, you know darn well it's getting absorbed by that grass and, and right now. So it, it might work. Uh, but again, I don't know if it's even labeled and it'd, it'd be something you'd sure try. So it would be better probably to spray it over the top 
at what point? Well, okay, so so part of the thing too is it's a timing issue, because and what we say like on this slide right here is. 40 to 65 degrees is the right timing. And the reason why is because that's when the plant, it's too cold for it to produce a lot of its own natural gibberellic acid. So we want to get that stuff out there right then. And so where I'm going with this is, let's say you did impregnate it. Well, if you don't get much rain during that timing and all of a sudden it rains when it's 75 degrees out, then the gibberellic acid doesn't help you as much either. So if it's me, I would spray it at that kind of timing. We've seen it absolutely night and day difference right to the line where we've sprayed it on grass before, many times. Taking your questions right now, radio at agphd.com and questions from our live audience. And we'll be right back after this. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, you're getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting a crop nutrition plan that maximizes your fertilizer applications from every drop, all while accounting for your management practices and the products you're already using. But it's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact eMERGE planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutritia N Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutritia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We are broadcasting from the Morton Center over at the Ag PhD Field Day site. So we're not in our studio today. So we aren't taking your calls today, but we are taking your questions. Radio at agphd.com. We also have a live audience here following the Ag PhD Corn Workshop. And uh, we will get right back to it. Let's take another question. Uh, Doug from Iowa. What's the momentum on the shorter stature corn Ooh. and the root relationship to height? Yes, great question. So uh, it's it, like everything else in agriculture, we're going to start off with, let's just say we started with 10-foot tall corn with the appropriate root system for a 10-foot tall corn and all the support we needed. They've taken corn down to about 4 feet tall corn, and unfortunately that took the root system down to an appropriate root system to support a four foot tall corn plant. So they did sacrifice some root volume getting down to some of the really short corn. What they found is that optimum number is probably going to be somewhere around seven foot corn. So we're seeing a lot of the companies now shift the focus back towards what I would term medium statured corn. We're seeing a substantial root system underneath. Now, I'd say this, we talked about a few things today. We talked about plant growth hormones like MegaGrow. It is going to change that hormone balance inside the plant. So instead of all the gibberellic acid to lengthen that plant out, that's an auxin-based product that's going to increase root volume. And we showed a, a picture that just after six days, there was already a noticeable difference in root volume. So you could use PGRs. You could also use some of the microbial and natural products to enhance that root system as well. And then, of course, reducing compaction and, and all those sort, sort of things to increase soil tilth uh, can increase root mass as well. So I think what we're going to get to is offerings with medium statured corn. Now, here's one other thing that's kind of interesting. There are a number of companies taking different angles at gene editing. So I'm not talking about GMOs or genetically modified plants where a gene is coming from something other than a corn plant and getting put in there. I'm talking about editing a gene that's already in there. So really what we're doing is with that process, the same thing that Mother Nature is going to do, uh, and, and you see it, uh, oftentimes you say, oh, my, my kids are taller than me. How did that happen? Well, <laughs> they got the best of both worlds here in the genes. And the same thing happens with plants out in fields, and oftentimes the best things keep going forward. And so what gene editing has done is they've figured out a, a combination of genes that regulate plant height. And I was talking to one scientist in this field that said, yeah, they said, what things would you like to see edited? And I'd said, I'd love to see those hybrids that are about 12 feet tall that always fall over. I'd love to see them at about seven feet tall. And they're like, why don't you give us a real challenge? I can take a 10-foot tall hybrid, make it a 3-foot tall hybrid, or anything in between by regulating those genes. I'm like, that's really cool. When will that be on the market? And they're like, unfortunately, nobody wants to pay for that just yet. So we've got to find some other things like making more kernels on the ear or uh, increased tolerance to tar spot or something. Then people will actually pay us some real money for this. But they said, in the lab, we can absolutely do that. So I think it's going to be fun going forward when we get some of those things to market that, hey, we've got a hybrid, but the only problem is it gets 12 feet tall and falls over. If, if they could just downregulate those height genes to make it a seven-foot tall plant, oh, that could be fantastic. All right, next question. Dan from South Dakota. Uh, we're looking at pre-plant incorporation, I guess. We haven't done it in 20 years. The trifloral thing is bringing it on. There you to go. To look at trying it. Yep. And, yep. Uh, 
Well, know, the good thing is, as much cheaper as that is compared to the alternatives, it really pays you for doing the tillage. So. Well, yeah, and are we going to expect better results? We've been overlaying it after planting for the last 20 years. Um, also, when we did it 20 years ago, they recommended working it twice. Yep. Is that something we should still do? Or? You know, that's that's an interesting point, too, and we get that a lot because I, I know growing up, we would always say that, too. It has to be double incorporated, and you need to do it immediately. And in the meantime, Roundup Ready crops have come out and Liberty Link crops, and you've got these great rescue herbicides that – if I left a streak out there and I didn't do a 100% job, I did a 95% job, it is no problem cleaning that up now. So if you're, if you're in uh, you know, a biotech trait soybeans where you've got a great way to clean it up, one pass is fine, but it does need that incorporation pass. Yeah, and, and it needs it quickly too. But the other thing is it depends a little bit on your tillage tool. So, I mean, like with our field cultivator that we've got and then these rolling baskets afterwards, it does seem to do a pretty good job stirring it around. We don't really see much for streaks. And, you know, the other thing that I'll, I'll tell people is, okay, we're doing three pre's now. We're doing either uh, Valor Authority, we're doing Metribuzin, and we're doing that Trifloralin on all our conventional till acres. So I've already got two other products that are real good. If I do happen to miss a little bit or a little bit escapes on me, evaporates on me on that Trifloralin, it's not the end of the world. And I only spent like four or five bucks on the Trifloralin. So it, it, it wasn't a whole lot of money I invested. And then we turned to the corn side, and we talked about these group 15s and everything. We didn't talk much about incorporation today, but even there too, we like it incorporated if it's shallow. That's great because now it takes less rain to get into the ground, less rain to get activated. And so that's our preference if we're going to be working the ground anyway. And granted, we do some strip till and we do other things. So it's not like we're working all our acres. But if we know we're going to till, we want to put the herbicide out before we do the light tillage. And we're full conventional till. What depth should we be doing? And we've also wondered maybe if a heavy harrow or drag would do it or a heavy not? hero or drag would do it on the group 15s on the valor authority and on the metribuzin but the trifluralant you're just not going to get it quite deep enough sure. so i mean we want to keep all these things other than trifluralant as shallow as possible but with the trifluralant we just have to you know and there's no exact thing but we, we would like to get it down a couple inches down in the ground so we lock it in a little more. But, you know, honestly, even if it's an inch down and you happen to lose a tiny little bit, it's no big deal. You can also overcome that. Instead of going a pint and a half, go 1.6 or 1.7 pints if you figure, well, I'm, I'm going to lose 10%. You know, there, there are kind of ways around that. But, yeah, the trifluralin, and a lot of people question this. They're like, well, why don't I just use a group 15? I'm like, well, a group 15 is more expensive, and it's not as good on the grass, and it's definitely not as good on the broadleaves. And... The group 15 you're already using in your corn. Let's use some mode of action that we don't use in corn. And especially if you're just in a corn soybean rotation, you're never using the the yellow. So yeah, if it's been 20 years for you since you used trifluralin, you're going to go back to it now and you're going to go, whoa, this is pretty good. It's just like the old eradicane. Um, we had some guys that hadn't used eradicane in 20 years and they used it again. And granted, it's... You, can hardly find it anymore other than an Eptam. But my gosh, you use it again for the first time, you're like, whoa, this is really awesome. So anyway, no, I, I think you'll be real happy with it. Try to keep it as shallow as possible, yet make sure that it's in the ground. If it's me, no. For trifluralin anyway, I'm not using a drag or a hero. Okay, I had a question that came in from Dan, and he said, I had heard that there was possible antagonism mixing status 
and Callisto or a generic Miso, and it didn't control pigweed as well. I'm wondering, is there that. an issue mixing those two? Would you be ahead to go with something like Diaflex Duo that would have an HPPD and a Dicamba product mixed together? I just don't know why you need it. So the only reason why people would use that is because they cut the rate of status too low. If you're not getting control out of your status, the odds are you're running less than five ounces. And keep in mind, seven and a half ounces is actually the full rate. Now, granted, I know you don't want to spend $30 an acre for the seven and a half ounces, but I'm just trying to say uh, status absolutely will light up any water hemp in the world. There is no resistance to Diflufenzapyr. That's the main weed killer. The dicamba is only a minor portion of the status to kind of activate and stimulate that Diflufenzapyr in the plant. All right, uh, Murray had a question here in regards to your early spraying that Brian wants to do when it's still freezing outside. I'm wondering, do you have to use straight 28% nitrogen as a carrier, or could you use, say, five gallons of 28% and five gallons of water? Yeah, you could try that. I mean, we're running straight 28% because, number one, we need fertilizer anyway, and that's saving me at least maybe part of a trip over the field. But the other thing is when it's full, straight, liquid 28%, I know I don't have that worry about the freezing. But the flip side of that is I got to make sure everything mixes in that. So it all depends on what I'm mixing. So that's where sometimes guys want water in there anyway, just so they, they put in a slurry first or, you know, they're mixing with some water and then fertilizer. So, yeah. Oh, compatibility agent is the other thing. Always have a compatibility agent around when you're mixing all that 28% with your herbicide just in case. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back after this. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. There's no time to mess around when it comes to early season protection from yield-robbing pests and diseases. Ethos XB Insecticide Fungicide is the next generation of at-plant protection. Through your liquid fertilizer system, get broad-spectrum defense and create an environment where seedlings can vigorously emerge with more uniformity, helping to optimize your productivity and yield. Get serious seedling defense with Ethos XB Insecticide Fungicide. Ethos XB Insecticide Fungicide is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow all label directions. Your crop deserves the best, not just a contender. Choose a Champ brand fungicide from New Farm for proven performance in the formula you prefer. Champ Formula 2 Flowable offers exceptional mixing and stability in a liquid copper. Champ Ion comes supercharged for superior coverage in a dry formulation. Any way you turn, New Farm has the copper solution you can win with. Put a Champ in your corner at newfarm.com slash uscrop. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App today. 
available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Palmer Amaranth. Four counts of yield theft, resistance to groups two, four, nine. You ain't got nothing on me, man. We've been surveilling you. And now we've got Tough 5EC, a tank mix partner that'll make sure you and your gang of resistant weeds never see the daylight again. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add Tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belsham Crop Protection. Listening to Ag PhD Radio. Man, we've been talking a lot about corn on today's show. It's because we're following the Ag PhD Corn Workshop. Uh, you can still get your questions in, though, even though we aren't in the studio today. Uh, we're taking your emails, radio at agphd.com. I got a question that came in from Luke. And he said, All right, guys, herbicide question here for you. We've been using a combination of Triple Flex, Laudis, Roundup, and atrazine, early post-emerge. Yep. We get it done by V5. Got it. One pass solution. We've had great results. This is Luke's comment. Great results. He said, however, I'm considering splitting this into two applications, but using the same chemistry. Maybe we would put triple flex pre-emerge and then do Roundup Lotus atrazine post. That's we're my in, preference. We're in Minnesota. What, yep. what do you think of that? Love it. And the reason why is you get two shots on a lot of these weeds. We want to start with great control, and then we want to finish with great control. What happens to us a lot of times when we try to go with the one-pass thing is either we're too late, and now oh, we've lost a little yield because the weeds got started, or we're too early, and there are some weeds left in the end, and now we have weeds later in the season that end up going to Or seed. it decides to rain for a week, right. or the wind blows 30 miles the, an hour for a week, which has seemed to happen the last couple of years right when we wanted to spray. And yep. Back, now you can't get it done. Yep. Back 30 years ago when Accent was getting going and then Roundup and stuff, and a lot of people were going, total post, they called it. Uh, I talked to my dad about that, and I just remember, and he's like, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. I got to sleep at night. So I want that pre on there because you just never know when it's going to rain. So that, that does get to be a big deal. So no, we would prefer that you put the triple flex out pre, follow with that same thing post, and odds are pretty high you'll end up with more than enough yield gain to pay for the extra trip all right take another question yeah hi i'm darren from uh south dakota and uh, me too <laughs> had a thing <laughs> on the tar spots um it says in here tar spots thrive when the weather is warm and humid especially when there's prolonged wetness on leaves yes that's a big deal the prolonged leaf wetness a lot of these uh fungal pathogens they're they're going to end up landing on a leaf and if that leaf is wet uh, like northern corn leaf blight, the same thing. They say you need six hours of leaf wetness. Well, if you walked around a cornfield in the summer, it gets wet pretty early in the evening. It stays wet all night long. And if you've ever had to walk fields in the morning, boy, it's 10 o'clock in the morning at least before it's not wet. So, yep. And have, have you 
you know, that's almost just where I was going with this, that those spots on the leaves are actually contributing factors to this exact situation. So would improved air flow, do you think, solve that potentially? Well, I don't know that it would solve it. Could it help a little bit? Sure. So we were talking a little bit earlier, this debate about 15-inch cornrows versus 30-inch, and I just made the comment that, hey, you're going to have more airflow through the 30-inch rails. So if you go to 15s, you're going to have to have a variety that's more disease tolerant and use more fungicide potentially. So, But I, I'll put it this way. Like in soybeans, we have this terrible disease called sclerotinia white mold, where literally in our farm it has taken 100% of our yield in some areas. 100%, all of it. It's nothing. And nothing left. And anyway, so guys will say, well, you just switch to wide rows and it'll solve the problem. Well, we've done that and it hasn't solved the problem. It's made it better. So we got 10 bushels instead of zero, but that didn't solve the problem for me. So it, it's a multifaceted approach. So if I'm super concerned about tar spot, I'll bet you in just the next three years, we'll find varieties that have more tolerance, maybe resistance, but probably tolerance. So you plant a variety that's got that. They'll probably find something where they go, you know what, if there's more manganese or more copper or something in the plant, I don't know what it'll be. Like sudden death syndrome, copper is a key. So, you know, when you start going, okay, one, two, three, four, I'm gonna do all four of these things. Now, maybe instead of having to spray fungicide twice, I only have to spray once. So, but yeah, unfortunately, because it's so new and you look at how new this disease is, it wasn't confirmed until 2015, 2015. Uh, that's, that's not very long. We haven't had enough time to, to do enough research. We haven't seen it in enough areas yet. So we're going to well, learn more the other, every The year. other thing is the seed companies don't have, uh, where they can just inoculate trials yet. Yep. As soon as they get that, that really helps things. Like Goss's Welt now, they can inoculate. And, man, you see um, seed breeders, and I know I get to visit some of these plots where they've inoculated. It's like, okay, so here's heavy, heavy pressure with all the brand-new hybrids. And they can just walk down the line and say, we're not going forward with that one. We're not going forward with that one. And these ones look good. And now, all of a sudden, the whole company – their Goss's tolerance is that much better. It's a big deal. Another question over here. Uh, yeah, Lowell from Minnesota. Um, through the years, you know, we have half jugs of this and half jugs of that left over. Yep. Are there certain chemicals that degrade that we can't use them after they've been opened? For have a they frozen? Year? No, but they might be like five years old or something. Oh, like that's that. not a problem. They're fine. Yep. So, uh, no. Um, if you want if to it's be... A, if you want to be safe, uh, I mean, you, you can look in there, and if you see something's cottage cheese, eh, then maybe take it to a disposal place. But uh, if, you, if you filter them just to make sure none of the inert ingredients crystallized or anything like that so you don't plug up a sprayer, uh, that would be a good move. Yeah, but that is the nice thing with ag chemicals. For the most part, they're going to last for years and years and years. So we were talking today about some of these biological and natural products. That's uh, not the case for many of them. They have a shelf life, well, just like soybean inoculant or anything else. But yeah, for the ag chemicals, I mean, there are a lot of things that, oh, yeah, we had that in the back of this shit. It's 20 years old. We go use it. It works fine. Enlist and Roundup, no problems, right? Yeah, so Enlist is just 2,4-D, um, and Roundup, glyphosate, yeah, we're, we're really not seeing any problems. The, even for freezing? Even for freezing, um, yeah, I'm not, like, super worried about that, especially the glyphosate. And I don't think that, I mean, Enlist, 
I can't say 100% for sure. It's well, still going to be full, perfect. The thing, perfect, the thing with Enlist is it's got a number of other products in there with it. So it has surfactants. It has it volatility does. guard. It has you know, yeah, some, some different of the newer stuff. Things. So some of yeah. those inerts could have. We haven't had enough years of experience with those to, to no, 100%. I, I still don't think I'd be real worried about it. Odds are it's going to be fine. Now, what we used to do, if let's say we had already pre-mixed something, let's say it was with water or whatever else, and we then pulled it out of the sprayer because we mixed too much or whatever. Once it's in water, now you've got other stuff in there. Just like today, we we're talking about water treatment, hard water ions and things like that. Those things can start breaking it down. So like back, I mean, this is... 40 years ago or almost 40 years ago where we'd have Roundup together with water and then the following year we'd use it, we'd have to bump the rate 10, 20, 30% and then it would be fine because of all those other interactions. But that was again when it was mixed with water. Okay, a uh, question came in from Chet and he said, do you guys see any difference uh, in yield based on planting direction with your cornfields, east-west <laughs> rows versus north-south to try and catch sunlight, etc." There are a lot of people that talk about that. We haven't looked at that like super hard, but um, you know what? We see more of that with intercropping where you've got uh, six rows of corn or four rows of corn. And then in between you have soybean rows. And so you get a lot more sunlight through. Uh, we, we have some guys that talk about that that are really fussy about which direction those rows are. But typically with a, a just a solid field of corn, we just haven't seen any difference at all. No. But you may see some difference on wind events. That's the one place Absolutely. that we've seen. If the wind comes out of a certain direction, uh, and, and you see it, gosh, you even see it with like uh, irrigation pivots. If they happen to be pointing, facing into the wind, and the wind blows straight past them versus blowing uh, crossways, uh, you see pivots tip over versus pivots that just stand. Same thing with corn plants. Okay, uh, get a question from G on flutriafol or Zyway. Yep. Uh, if, uh, if it's translocated in the plant when yep. it's used in furrow, just curious, when top guard is applied post-emerge, does that move around in the plant much too? Here's the challenge with fungicides. They move in the, in the xylem of the plant. The xylem only moves up. So like Roundup moves in the phloem, and the phloem moves up and down. So if you're putting Zyway on in furrow, great, because you're starting at the bottom. And yes, it can move up. If you're spraying top guard, which is the exact same active ingredient on the top of the plant and just covering the leaves, it, it can only move up in the leaf, not, not up in the whole plant. So it's, yes, it does move well. It, it's one of the best ones for that. And it does uh, persist in the plant for quite a, while, quite a long time yep but yeah it's not going to move all through the plant with a foliar application like that uh then the last one here uh you talked about uh Zyway. what if you use gibberellic acid to offset uh the in inhibition of gibberellic acid by we've, Zyway? we've tried that yep. and we haven't been able to fine-tune that exact thing because nope. the dosage that's going on each seed of Zyway is variable so, no, I don't think you're going to be able to offset that. And I know FMC has done some work on that, too. Hey, thanks for the question, Mark. Well, uh, I had a fun day here talking about corn all day long. I'm sure we could talk about corn all night as well. It's an exciting crop. Uh, thanks for listening to our radio show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.